0: It is May, it is Draft Lottery Month It's the first full month of the Pacers offseason Perfect time for a mailbag What do fans want to know about Pacers player trade values A Halliburton extension, other draft things How can the Pacers fit all this stuff into these roster spots? Well guess what, we'll talk about it all today On the Locked On Pacers Podcast You are Locked On Pacers Your daily Indiana Pacers podcast Part of the Locked On Podcast Network Your team, every day Welcome in to another edition of the Locked On Pacers podcast, where we, of course, talk about the Indiana Pacers, as always. My name's Tony East. I cover the team for Forbes and SI, and today, it's mailbag time. Diving into your questions from Twitter about all things draft, free agency, trades, covering players, revisiting the bonus Halliburton trade even. On the eve, the eve, that's backwards. On the day after the Kings being eliminated from the postseason. Oh, this playoffs has been so good. That game from Steph Curry was amazing. But we'll get to it all today. Lots of fun stuff coming this week on Lockdown Pacers as well. Two more player review episodes with Kalen Cooper. Uh, a CBA breakdown episode. I'll get into more details on that later because we got more details from the NBA on that on the media side. And it's May. Let's do some scouting. Victor Wembenyama breakdown. All the things you'll want to know about the Frenchman who's going to go number one in this draft. We dive into the mailbag today, though, with questions. First up from Indie Sports Fan 65, who says, What or who are the Pacers' best trade assets not named Benedict Matherin or Tyrese Halberton? Good inclusion, because Halberton, obviously number one, Matherin, obviously number two, and then what? And I thought that was a really interesting question. And I did this podcast last summer. If there's interest, I'll probably do it again this summer, although it's a little different with their roster spot situation. But Ranking the likeliness of Pacers players being traded, and most of it's just a gut feeling, and reading what the Pacers' actions and words have been through years and saying, okay, what makes sense and what doesn't, and ranking what it could be. And we'll actually talk about that a little bit later on this show via a different question, but looking at the exclusively the value, what is the most valuable stuff the Pacers have Beyond those things. I started with their pick this year. Their their own 2023 first, I think is their best asset beyond those two things because of how good this draft is. That pick's floor being 10 is still probably better than any player that the Pacers could trade away in terms of actual value. And if you say even if they drop a spot, it's still top eight, where you know it seems like that's a, a tiering for some of this, maybe seven. Either way, it's right there, right? That seems like the most valuable thing. And as of this second, a chance to jump in to the top four of this loaded draft. Obviously valuable. After May 16th, the value of this asset goes down. But it's still, I think, even if it fell as far as the Pacers could possibly fall and was the 10th pick, I still think it'd be probably the Pacers' most valuable trade chip is their own first-round pick this year. After that, it gets a little wobblier. I had three things in contention for their second most valuable asset, and that was their own 2024 first-round pick. Miles Turner and Andrew Nembard. It's very tricky to determine which one of those there are. Obviously, Miles Turner is better than Andrew Nembard as a player right now, but Nembard much younger and could improve. He's only been in the league one year, right? And the big thing here is Nembard has two years left on his deal, guaranteed, then a team option. But if they decline that team option, they can make him a restricted free agent. So a lot more team control, whereas Turner only has two years of team control, but he's better right The second. So, that, that's kind of close, you know, late lotto, early outside of the lotto kind of trade value. And that's kind of where if you look at their 2024 first, where that pick could be landing, depending on where their goals are. That said, that draft doesn't look so good, but their 2025 first should be worse than that. So it's kind of hard to exactly pin that down. But those three, I think, are all kind of pretty close in terms of value. Pretty solid, but not amazing in terms of what they could net you in a package. Uh, But outside of those guys, you know, there's like a lot of stuff that could fetch you a first and the matching salary required in a trade. Like maybe Buddy Heald could get you a late first at this stage, for example. But nothing else that's blown the doors off of someone else. And you can offer all your picks for seven years and all the swaps in the world to have a compelling trade package. But in terms of the Pacers best trade asset, it's currently their pick this year. And then I think if I had to rank their second one, I would say Turner second, their own 24 pick third and Nembard fourth, but that is just a gut feeling thing. You know, if, if Nembard has another solid season, I think he could very easily jump the last two things. And I only put the 2024 pick where I did because next year's draft is not that great. Uh, but if it was a little, if it was a standard draft, I think that would probably be second just because of where the Pacers are in their build and where the league is kind of trending in that way. I thought that was a good question though. Ranking all the Pacers players on that front will be fun and interesting. Our second question today Comes from Colby Mellinger, who says, since they won't be making five picks in the draft, is it more likely the Pacers package their picks to trade up or use them in deals for current NBA players? That is a fascinating question, right? And I did this exercise with Rhett when we did our offseason preview podcast talking about the Pacers. Is The first thing I think the Pacers did or should have done, or maybe not the first thing, but one of the early activities the Pacers likely did when the season ended is looked at their two picks, right? They have 26 coming from Cleveland. They have 29 coming from Boston. I bet they looked at slots in the draft. Maybe, let's just say, 16 through 24. I don't know. I'm making up these numbers. that's that's not high enough. 16 through 21 or 22 and said, who of those teams would rather have more worse picks than one better pick? And a team in that scenario would have you know, very few young things on their team right now, or not a lot of future picks in the cupboard. And so Brooklyn stood out to me a little bit, and they have 21 and 22 in the upcoming draft, fittingly. Um, and so that was, was kind of interesting, right? Because they traded all their picks for Harden, and then they traded Harden and got some picks back, but they don't have a lot of young guys who are awesome right now, but they have their own two first so that they want three or are they trying to be good now so that maybe doesn't make sense if Golden State lost in the first round maybe because they traded away Wiseman but they have some young stuff it's hard to find that team and so without thinking of that possibility or outside of that possibility maybe maybe the Lakers will do that they're at 17 I don't know though they'd probably like to trade that for the best player they could at this stage I think the most likely thing the Pacers do is trade them for established players, because they're trying to win this coming year, right? And I think something that's ruled out from this question, so solely deciding on the binary asking this question, would they rather trade them to trade up or trade them for other players? I think trade them for other players. What this rules out is what the Knicks did kind of in the 2022 draft and trade them for 2023 picks, kick them down the line. So for the Pacers, they'd be trading them for 2024, 2025 picks. That might be hard. Because their picks are so late in the first round, like the gamble for the other team is exceedingly poor. (laughs) that They're going to be trading a better pick for a worse pick. But perhaps that's something possible. Of the two options, though, I think the most likely thing is trading them for established players, right? The Pacers have said they want to make the playoffs next year. McConnell said it. Halbert said it. Pritchard said it. They they talked about 45 wins and, and growing on this again, accelerating their timeline from what they originally thought, right? They would like that. I think, more than adding more rookies into their ecosystem who don't help them get there. And even if, like, made it up, they probably cannot get as high as 14 with their late first. If they traded every pick they had in the draft that isn't pick 7, they probably can't even get above. I, I'm making this up. I don't think the Pelicans would do this, but, like, 14, right? Is, is adding 7 and 14... Via the draft, really something the Pacers want to do? They're trying to be good this year? Like, the 14th pick's just never going to play. And so, I don't even think that makes sense for them. So, I would say established NBA players is the more likely answer because there's not good trade-up candidates and because trading up still doesn't really help them. Adding two rookies, maybe even a third if they keep their second, to... Like they, If they had 32, for example, it doesn't make sense in their situation. It'd be hard for them to establish those guys and give them time while still trying to win at the level that they have said they want to next year, but then you're wasting that whatever pick you get. So trading up is hard. Trading for future picks is easier, but less likely because if you're trading for the 26th pick, giving up a future first, there's a chance you're giving up a higher pick for a worse pick. You get the dance I'm doing. It's kind of complicated and confusing. Now, could they go from seven to five with 7, 29, 26, and thirty two? Maybe that would be what what makes sense to me. So that would be a way that they could make a draft trade that isn't for an established NBA player. Is actually using their seventh pick. But if they're ju- or whatever they end up at post lottery. But if they end up if they if they don't do that or they can't do that, no one's willing to. Then I think the most likely thing is. Some of their late firsts and their seconds go into an NBA player or get consolidated, sort of like Rhett and I talked about, into a Malcolm Brogdon-esque trade where it's a couple youngsters and the picks and some salary filler for an already good, very established, good fitting already in the NBA level player. Coming up, talking about the Halliburton trade again and a big hodgepodge of questions about players. Uh, Trading picks and a Halliburton's extension in the CBA coming right up in our second segment. Before we get to that, though, I got to talk to you guys about prize picks. Who are running a one million dollar daily super flex promotion every day of the NBA playoffs? One Prize Picks user will have a chance at becoming a millionaire. One entry placed after 8 a.m. Eastern, we randomly selected each day. Whoever placed that entry will be given a six pick flex with the following payouts. If you get six right, you get a million dollars. Five correct, you get eighty thousand. Four correct, you get sixteen thousand. Full details at PrizePicks.com/slash-million. You must opt in at that link to be eligible for the entry. And once you opt in, all you gotta do is play the game like normal. You could be the lucky winner Prize picks daily fantasy made easy super fun you just sign up pick two to six players where they score more or less in their prize picks projection you get up to 25 times your money it's just you versus their projections you can do it for any sport that you like it's safe it's fast it's a minute or less it's operational all over the united states and canada so download the price picks app or go to price sign up and play daily fantasy sports first-time users We'll receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with the promo code Locked On. If you deposit 100, PrizePix will give you 100. You deposit 50, Prize will give you 50. But you got to use that code Locked On at sign up for an instant deposit match up to $100 at Prize Daily Fantasy Made Easy. Thank you, as always, for making Locked On Pictures your first listen today and every single day. Second listen, easy peasy, Locked On Warriors. Hoo hoo hoo. Steph Curry, number 30, maybe the most underrated player in the history of the NBA, given how people are talking about him. He's been the best in the league for a while, for my money, and he showed why over the weekend. 50 points, eliminates the Kings. Unbelievable. Lockdown Warriors should be your second listen today to hear more about that. And then go to Lockdown Kings with Matt George. What a fun season for the Kings. I'm actually very bummed. They were limited. I very much enjoyed watching them this season and postseason. And speaking of the Kings, let's start off this segment with a question from the old co-host of the show, Mister Adam Friedman himself at Friedman and Five, who says, "Was the Sabonis Halberton trade a mistake? No, absolutely not. There's so many fun ways to talk about this trade, even in retrospect, right? I saw this tweet from someone who in the King's sphere." I don't remember if they cover the team or if they just opine on Twitter, but it was a very good tweet and I don't want to, um, you know, belittle what they do. It was a perfect. It was basically the equation was the Kings are farmers, right? And they traded a Ferrari for a tractor equating halber into the Ferrari and Sabonis as the tractor, the Ferrari might be more valuable or more people might want it, but the tractor is what the farmer needs. And that was perfect. the Kings right he fit really well with them right away him and Fox had this great chemistry it made them awesome it made them exactly what their fan base needed for the first time in 15 years they should absolutely have done that trade the Kings did a fantastic job they were the third seed in the West they were one win away from knocking off the reigning champs right now it looks like the Kings won but here's what I'll say I will never ever say the Pacers lost this trade even if Hal Burton This is his peak level right now. And here is why I will say that forever and ever. Something that I think is never talked about with this trade. Could the Pacers have ever gotten something better than Tyrese and for Domon to Sabonis? No way. No way. Right this second, the Kings season just ended. Sabonis has one year left on his contract. Right this second, right? His value is already probably less in a trade than it was When the trade happened, not because he isn't better. He is much better, to be clear. He had a great season. All-star, might be third-team All-NBA with Sacramento this year. In fact, probably should be third-team All-NBA. People are going to have him in the MVP conversation. But he's also an expiring contract, right, which is harder to trade for. It has less value inherently, especially before unrestricted free agency. The Kings shouldn't and won't trade him. But the Pacers, on their end, if they were going to ever have to pivot or trade him, Right now, he has less value than they did than he did when they dealt him. Right, they traded him at probably his peak value. Two and a half years left, well-established player, consecutive All-Star campaigns, and they got a perfect for their situation asset in Tyrese Halliburton, who already has been an All-Star. So, who wa- No, the Pacers absolutely should never regret that trade. Or should never call it a mistake. And I know that Adam is mostly being facetious because of the Kings game. But it's fun to relitigate this right now because the King season just ended. Because that is the part of this that I think gets lost is the Sabonis contract timeline. In that the Pacers might have never had the chance to get more for him than they were in that trade. Even if they had preferred to trade Turner at that deadline. Which I don't know if they did or didn't. Or even if they were shopping something else or whatever they were doing. That is maybe the apex of what they could have gotten for him ever, even if he was just as good the very next season for the Pacers. And so I think that alone makes it a worthy trade for the Pacers. And, of course, Halliburton looks like he could be fantastic. Talk to me in three years, and we can really relitigate this one because, man, I mean, Halliburton could be special. I'm still so high on him, maybe even compared to the consensus of fans and media. just It's so rare to see what he does at his age, and we'll see. But also, Sabonis was so, so good for the Kings this year and Kevon Looney is a very tough matchup for him, as is the Warriors and their spacing in general. Fun question and fun timing to talk about that, but I think the big part is the Pacers absolutely peaked in the value there. Uh, Zach Zach from Indy, three-parter here. Lots of fun stuff in this question. First one is, who slash what picks get moved to make room on the Pacers roster with only three expiring contracts and five picks? Right, That is the big question of the summer. Great question. Right, How are the Pacers going to do this? What is the math? going to be? Well, good question. (laughs) The reason it's tricky is because, right, if they just make all their picks, all of a sudden they don't have any roster spots for free agency and the new CBA reportedly says, hey, you need to hit the salary floor before the season starts or else you don't get your luxury tax payments. You don't get your revenue sharing, excuse me, right? So every team's going to try to hit the salary floor before the season starts. And so for the Pacers, they kind of have to spend money in free agency, so they can't just use the picks and be done for the summer and figure it out later. So they need roster spots to sign somebody and draft guys. They only have 3. They have 5 picks. Kevin Pritchard already said he doesn't want to bring 5 youngsters into the organization. So what do they do? Well, that's a good question because just like you're not going to get anything if you just trade away the 26th pick, right? If you get a player, that player takes up a roster spot. If you consolidate two picks for one, the one pick you get is still taking up a roster spot. If you pick at 7, Taking up a spot. So you might have to clear spots even if you don't use all your picks. Let's say they pick 50, they do a draft and stash, and pick 32 and 29, they trade for a future first from another team and 26. I don't even know. They trade for some vet on another team that's a forward or something. So now they added a player at seven and they traded 26 for an an established player. They only have one roster spot left. Free agency hasn't even started, right? Like that is already untenable. So they're probably going to have to trade some guys away or make a a complicated string of moves. And so who or what that will be is a great question. That's where I talked about earlier with the trade value rankings will be important in for the Pacers to decide what, what whose value can we pursue or who. Has the least long-term future with us. And like that's why my the starting point in my head a lot of the time is short contracts. Who is a short contract left that could leave the team soon anyway? So two guys on expirings, right? Daniel Tyson, buddy healed. Maybe they could be guys that are moved to make this happen. Of the young guys, the guys who might, you know, not have enough minutes coming their way given their age and status right now. You know, that would be the backup bigs, right? Jalen Smith and Isaiah Jackson. Perhaps they could be on the move just because. You know they're they're young and have value, but to the Pacers they have less value because they're kind of blocking each other. And Chris Duarte too, who playing on the wing, very talented player. I'm still very bullish on his shooting ability long term, but is better in a, maybe better in a slower paced environment. And will be competing with Neesmith and Wara for minutes on that reserves next year, unless they get no forwards and free agency of the draft. Like those names stand out to me. A lot of other names could be moved in theory for various reasons, but their situations with the team, those four names. I just said Duarte ties healed and a backup big seem like the most likely clear roster spot kind of stuff. And also like the, the, this question of via Twitter has a one B, which has has O'Shea Brissett played his last game for the Pacers. I mean, I would be guessing. Yeah. And it's only because of the roster spot thing. Maybe they do have interest, but it's just, they can't offer him playing time. So why would he want to? And you know, why would they be true? I don't know. It's just, it doesn't make sense from the roster spot perspective. If one opens up, he's close with the team. He's on their timeline. Sure. But, you know, I would guess that letting him walk is an easy way to get a spot, and one of George Hill or James Johnson, a similar thing. But that's a good question and something the Pacers will have to answer in a very confusing way. Uh, question two from Zach is: Will there be a player option on Tyrese Halberton's extension? Great question. Probably the biggest thing that will happen to the Pacers this off season. They have to. They, it's possible they can extend Tyrese Halberton July one, and they should just throw him the maximum amount of money that he can possibly get and fortunately for the Pacers uh, he, he becomes a free agent next summer that's pre the second cap spike from the CBA and pre-TV deal I mean maybe this spike is going to be the max 10% anyway but they're getting the extension done now could be beneficial for them depending on how much money comes in from the TV deal it doesn't matter what I'm saying right now what I what matters is um, if they're gonna do five years At the max anyway, it should be easy to negotiate an extension with Halliburton, but what happens with some of these young guys negotiating these rookie extensions who are amazing is they say, I want a player option, right? I will re-sign with you, and I am a face of your franchise, but I want a player option so that I can be a free agent sooner and get more money at that time when the cap is higher, and sometimes teams just oblige. Zion Williamson got one. Donovan Mitchell got one, for example, but not everybody gets them. A lot of players get straight five-year deals as well. That's what the team wants, because then they have an extra year of team control on the contract. So Halliburton, if the Pacers have their way, which every team with an all-star who's young would want this, is they'll hope he just signs a straight five-year max extension. Uh, Well, their hope is he'll sign a five-year extension for the minimum, but obviously within reason, (laughs) <laughs> they'll hope he signs the five-year max extension. Um, but Halliburton will hope for the player option because then four seasons after now, five seasons really, because the last year of his rookie skill deal matters, he could opt out. And even if he wanted to sign with the Pacers, he could do it for more money. Now the Pacers have the advantage of They acquired Hal Burton on his rookie scale deal so they can give him one of the designated extensions if he ever makes all NBA after his seventh season in the league and no other team could do that. So they'll have ways to keep him before that expires anyway. But um, I bet Hal Burton and every player ever will hope for the player option. Because of the cap rising, as much as it looks like it could, 10% a year is what the CBA, for smoothing purposes from the TV deal, right? There's a chance that if it goes up 10% again next year, which is possible, the NBA estimate was a little less than that last time they sent one out. If it goes up 10% again next year, and then 10% again every year through the TV deal, that 10% cap raise is bigger than the maximum raise a player can get on their contract, which is 8%. And that's on the first year of their deal. Not every single year. It's that 8% on the first year, every year added. So because the cap increase is goes faster than his raises, even if the Pacers gave him the most they could. The designated rookie extension, which is 30% of the cap, and 8% full bird rights raises and all the money possible. Already in one year after signing, it would be a sub-max deal. It would only be a max deal in the first year. And so, Halliburton opting out means he gets more money. And because it could be 10% raises every year because of the new TV deal, we're talking about a significant sum of money by maybe the third or fourth. You're not a significant, like, Oh my gosh, but just a big chunk. And so if you're Tyrese Halburton, you might want that. And so because the cap could rise by more than his deal, I bet he would want player option. And if that's what it comes down to, I'm giving it to him if I'm the Pacers. And I'm betting he makes all NBA enough that I can give him the designated extension in the future to keep him anyway. Uh the last question from this tweet is expect a full breakdown on CBA's effect on the Pacers at some point. Yes. This week, that will be an episode on the show, either Wednesday or Friday, depending on scheduling with other guests, uh, because the NBA did send out this little PDF thing for media to uh, see some of the high-level changes in the new CBA. One more segment here today, it's a mailbag. If you've listened to a lot of these, you know I have to do an AJ Reese segment, because he sent me four questions, which I really appreciate, because they're all very different than the vibe you've gotten so far. A little bit about jerseys, interacting with players, the future of the Pacers, and the Fever. It's all coming to close out today's show. Thank you, as always, for making Lockdown Pacers your first listen today and every single day for your second listen. Lockdown Heat, they're still alive. They made me look stupid for picking the Knicks and six over the Heat. After the Knicks made me look stupid for picking the Cavs. Apparently, I just have a terrible read on the New York Knicks. But Lockdown Heat, they win game one. Jimmy Butler's ankle is injured Wes Goldberg, David Mill will have the latest on Knicks Heat over at Locked on Heat. AJ Reese closing us out today with four more mailbag questions. A four-parter, I should say, from one tweet. His first question, what is your relationship like with ex-pacers in post-game media? Pretty good. Um, it, it's interesting because this was my first year full-time on the beat. So I wasn't around like, I was like, Every home game the Pacers played before, at least that was my goal. And as many practices as I could get to, whether that was on my lunch break or on the weekends, uh, but not, you know, not every player remembers me. D- Domas did uh, when I saw him for the first time at, at, in Sacramento and he told me he would, you know, connect with me after the game for questions and stuff. Like he was awesome. Justin holiday did a couple other guys have as well, but not all of them do. So the ones that, you know, the ones that do just like you know, you just talk about their time with the team a little differently, or you remember things that their local beat might not know. And those are usually pretty positive reactions. The ones who don't remember you, it doesn't really matter. Like, I'm not going to change what I ask, but it certainly changes the vibe of it or like how conversational it feels, if that makes sense, but usually pretty good. And I think now that I'm around way, way, way more, it will be better (laughs) just because I'll be more recognized uh, by them because I'll be around more. It's not that it'll, again, it won't change anything about the interaction or anything. Um, But the relationship will be better, which will lead to better, you know, conversation and better answers uh, and better discussion on this podcast and in articles Uh, Two funniest interaction with a player before or after a game. I'll never forget Malcolm Brogdon trying to pour his water bottle into a cup right when I asked a question. It was so loud and he put it right in front of the microphone on the podium stand. So all you can hear while I'm asking the question, they uploaded this one to YouTube. The Pacers did because they put a lot of their media Availability is on there. You just hear a glugging sound the whole time. And halfway through my question, he just says, my bad. and keeps laughing. Uh, You've all probably seen the one with Halliburton and Heald from this season where they're just, you know, being goofy back and forth for 10 minutes, basically. Like we were all just laughing the whole time. Um, but, the, you know, they're all fun. Um, in the media sessions, you can see a lot of them in those podium uploads. It's, you know, just a lot of stuff like that that's just out of place or silly that makes them memorable and um, and interesting and fun for this sort of discussion. Three, AJ says, what city edition jersey do you want to see the most? In parentheses, Flojo, pinstripes, etc. cetera. Pacers have been doing these old school styles with some of their jerseys. They did the pinstripes two years ago now which is crazy uh much to everybody's happiness i did not love those i didn't love the original pinstripes either i am a jersey hater i think the nike stuff going on right now oh i can't they're so over the top like so, the miami vice everybody loves them right like for me i flip on the game miami heater wearing pink i'm like who is this team what is this the Miami Heat had a yellow jersey one year. I was like, what is going on? One year, I think the, the the Heat wore yellow against the Pacers who were in gray or something. Like, what is this? Who is playing? This is stupid. Um, some of the Nike ones look nice or like they look simple. But I just love like clean, one color, one block of text jerseys. Celtics, every year, home run. Chicago Bulls, every year, home run. Classic, easy sleek. They wear the right color for the right games. Some Nike jerseys, good. Phoenixes, I like because they stick to their own branding. without. Sometimes they go over the top, but mostly good. Uh, for example, I really like Phoenixes. Um, my favorite Pacers jersey ever, probably like their early 80s, like when they really leaned into the Navy for the first time and went away from kind of the Royal or Blue, and they just said Indiana on the front in like italics basically. I mean, I don't... you know The Flojos are pretty good um i liked to the like david west paul george era jerseys they were pretty clean with that just like yellow trim on the sides but flojo's pinstripes are good i like the flojo's a little bit but i just like normal jerseys a lot better uh even the first iteration of pacers jersey that literally it literally just says pacers in yellow text on a blue jersey like just do that <laughs> it, it just do that um that would be my choice obviously that will never happen because Because of the way Nike likes the creativity and the new jersey every year. And yada, yada, yada. And I get it. And people like them. And that's great. And I am a hater. Uh, AJ's last question. What excites you the most about the Pacers and Fevers futures? Great question. Kind of the same thing. Um, I just accidentally deleted it from my notes. They both have a franchise cornerstone to grow with. Right. That is. So to me, I, I've talked about this on this show before. Samus Fondiari, who covers the Warriors, talks about this a lot with his, the Golden State team that he covers. And that is that, of course, they have Steph Curry and they're flashy and fun. And they've won a ton. So, of course, they're popular. Right. They've won four titles. But locally, something he's something he says that has added to their popularity locally, he thinks, is a lot of homegrown talent cornerstones. Right. Steph, they drafted. He grew up. With the Warriors. Draymond, they drafted. He grew up with the Warriors. Clay, same thing. Some other guys come in and out, but you know, when you get a cornerstone early in their career and they grow up and face adversity with you, like those titles mean more. The connections with the fan base are stronger, right? Portland has great fans. Dame's been there forever. They haven't won anything, but because they've seen his whole career, it's been huge. The Bucs are really popular right now and they won a title, but also Giannis has been there forever, right? You could do this with tons of teams through the years, those ones stood out to me right now for many reasons, mostly just going through the loyalty index in my head. But you know, that is important. And I think with the Pacers in fever right now, that is something that I think is exciting is you, you will see this with both franchises. They got Tyrese Halliburton really early in his career, right? One and a half years through it. So sure. Some Pacers fans missed that first full year he played with the Kings, but they'll see every other season of his career until he's not a Pacer anymore. And presumably, if, like I talked about in the last segment, they get him for as many years as possible on his next contract and can designate a veteran him, that could be a long time. And it could not be because of the way the NBA is now, but it could be a very long time. And he's good. And so that's appealing to fans because they should be good. They can see a player grow with the different teams along the way and see how he evolves and how he connects a franchise to a city again. And that's the same for the Fever, who just drafted Leah Boston. She has very similar qualities to Halbert, and they're both very perfectionist-like and very good at a key position. Boston is a very, very good defensive center. Maybe the best player on the Fever the first second she steps on the floor. We'll see. Kelsey Mitchell is going to push her, but you know they both have very similar qualities, and I think the fact that they'll both be with their current team for a while will help with fan connection, will help with their growth, will help with the team's growth, and I think that is exciting and unique about the direction they're both headed in and ironically both are really entering year two of a rebuild i think the fever kind of a little behind the pacers because they just switched coaches like they just did their carlisle hire uh this summer if you will but christy sides is a first year coach we'll see what happens but you know i think they're about a year apart in their builds pacers being a little bit ahead but we'll see they have similar kind of timelines and traits right now and i'll be fascinated to see but that's the big thing to me they both have a franchise cornerstone to kind of grow with uh so that is today's mailbag thank you everybody for submitting questions if you'd like to in the future at Locked On pacers on twitter i tweet out uh every so often when i want to do one of these the next one probably won't be till like august post free agency uh when we dig into the new look team and things like that and i want to know what fans are interested in hearing about but what i gather is questions about the draft the roster spots. And what players could be moved to make all this fanciness move? The rest of this week, uh, two shows of player season reviews with Caitlin Cooper again. Uh, one full episode on Andrew Nembard later this week. And tomorrow, I believe, is going to be uh, veteran, air quotes, guards, we're calling it, Chris Duarte, TJ McConnell, and Buddy Heald. One episode on Victor Wembanyama, and one episode on the new CBA changes that will most impact the Pacers, at least right away. Because in general, through the whole cycle of team building, through seven years every change impacts every team but you know the situation you're in right when the change happens is the most important because that's the only time it'll be different for every team so we'll do that either wednesday or friday so lots of fun stuff coming on Lockdown pacers this week hope you all had a fantastic weekend i'm on twitter at tony r east yes that is different but it was time i don't just cover the nba anymore the w is in there as well so thank you guys a ton for listening have a fantastic day we will see you tomorrow